Your data is the most valuable asset that companies are competing for. The iOS 15 release tells us new details about Apple's war for data control. Long story short, it's just as insidious as Facebook's. Today's deep dive will show why. Congratulations for investing in your family's future today by joining us on AI Parenting Live. We're a judgment-free community moving from screen time to quality time. And our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today we're gonna move away from the sedation that's happening around privacy towards relating and creating the privacy future that we want. I am so thankful for the awesome insights from data diva Debbie Reynolds when preparing for today. You'll hear a few of her quotes and titles that she provided with me today. And if you wanna follow her, check out at Debbie Data Diva on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The three topics that we'll cover today are one, first party data, two, the data cast system, but three, data is control. Are you ready to go? Let's jump into it. First party data. So uh, Data Diva Debbie Reynolds shared how first party data is the data that you share directly with the manufacturer. Uh, this week, Apple announced a lot more first-party data inside Apple Wallet for iOS 15. Uh, let's start with a video of what's new, uh, thanks to CNBC. And I'll kind of pause so that we can come back and discuss the most relevant issues. Okay, so if you're ready, here we go. Let's talk about how iOS helps you better understand and explore the world around you with some great updates to Wallet, Weather, and Maps. To tell us about what's new in Wallet, here's Jennifer. With the Apple Wallet app, we set out to replace your physical wallet. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right there. <laughs> so, as Jennifer said, the goal is not to be a backup, but to replace your existing wallet, and with good reason. It's kind of annoying to have to carry around so many things when you're traveling. Uh, I, you know, honestly, I can attest to the the benefits, like the convenience of being able to use Apple Pay on my watch, uh, especially during this past year. Even if I forget my wallet, it's still possible to make a quick, like, purchase, uh, say, at the grocery store or the convenience store without needing to touch the card reader or even enter a code. So, uh, sorry for interrupting. Let's keep going. Starting with Apple Pay, we added payment cards to make payments safer and more secure. Next, we brought transit cards with express mode to your iPhone. You just breeze through the turnstiles in San Francisco, New York, Beijing, Tokyo, and more. And just recently, Walt Disney World added their park passes, creating magical moments as you tap to enter, ride, and explore. You can never leave home without your keys. So we're continuing to add keys to Wallet and making them even better. We started with car keys, which we're improving with ultra wideband support for an unlock and drive experience. No need to take your iPhone out of your bag or pocket. BMW and other. That's really key as well. Um, she was talking about ultra wideband support and you don't have to take your keys out of the car, but, uh, out of the pocket uh, or out of your purse. That's really important. We'll come back to that in a bit. Uh, but let's keep going. We'll ship cars with UWB starting later this year. With iOS 15, 
we're bringing keys for your everyday places to wallet. Starting with where you live, we're creating the fastest, most secure way to unlock your house, apartment, or flat. And where you work, just add your corporate badge and tap to enter your building or office. And where you travel with hotel keys, you'll automatically receive your key when your room is ready, even before you arrive at the hotel. Starting this fall, Hyatt Hotels will start rolling this out to over a thousand properties worldwide, creating a faster and safer experience for their guests. Anywhere you go, just tap to unlock. An incredible range of partners for locks and access systems have signed on to support keys for all the places you go. Okay, let's pause there. So now it's not just your credit card, but your transit pass, your hotel key, your car keys, your house keys, and your passport too. Uh, I don't think we actually did the passport part. Uh, why don't we keep going? I'll, I'll let, uh, we'll cover the passport part. However, to be fully free of your physical wallet, there's one more thing we need to bring to iPhone, and that's your ID. So we're bringing identity cards to Apple Wallet. This fall, you'll just scan your driver's license or state ID in participating U.S. states. It's that easy. Your ID information is now in Wallet. Encrypted and safely stored in the secure element, the same hardware technology that makes Apple Pay private and secure. And the TSA is working to enable... It's that easy. It's safe and it's secure. Oh my goodness. Okay, next one. Airport security checkpoints as the first place you can use your digital ID. When you present your ID, you'll know what specific information is requested and securely presented. With just a tap, you're off to your flight. So that's wallet on your iPhone and Apple Watch. Back to you, Craig. Okay, okay. So... What you're seeing here is not just more convenience, it's the merging of your physical identity. So everything that we use for physical identity with your digital identity. So in other words, anytime you need to show some form of physical identity, uh, maybe it's a license or a passport, you can replace it with a digital version. Now, the interesting change comes not from the device itself. So it's not the Apple wallet that I'm really like fascinated about here. It's the fact that Apple has moved beyond convincing consumers to accept digital identities for items such as your credit cards. But now corporations are starting to accept your digital identity for entry into their buildings. And even governments are starting to accept a digital identity for moving across state lines and potentially even across international borders. Now, many of these functions have been available uh, in countries like China for a while through apps like WeChat. Uh, they have a WeChat wallet. What originally started out as kind of like a WhatsApp clone has quickly evolved to include more and more aspects of a person's digital identity including their Chinese ID and their bank card. So mobile payments is often the only method to pay for many vending machines in China. Uh, for example, when I traveled to Guangzhou, I remember the pain of trying to use public transportation without a mobile payment option like WeChat. I basically had to 
pay someone to buy me a ticket with their own phone. Um, like that's the level that it is. Like you don't have, like you can't get onto the train if you uh, don't have like a cell phone in order to make payments. The data cast system. So privacy is increasingly becoming a luxury available only for the wealthy, leading to a data caste system. And it's the data of the poorest and most vulnerable that's being used to train much of the AI that we have today. And so I'm going to describe three different categories of data, the data caste system. And I'll, I'll just use low, medium, high. I don't really have uh, like a good name for each one. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, the first one I'm going to talk about, and maybe I will create one here. I'll just call it low. <laughs> um, so you're aware. Okay, I'll just create a little marker here. So in the Coded Bias documentary, uh, they used a quote from science fiction author William Gibson. And they said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. We used to think that this meant that the rich would get access to new technology before the rest of us. But we've learned lately that when it comes to tracking and privacy or invasions of privacy, the exact opposite is true. Uh, Joy Bulamwini, who I've spoken out about before, showed how facial recognition was used to track people going in and out of low-income housing. Um, in addition, facial recognition is used in 1,500 police departments, um, and it's trained on mugshots that police departments share with companies like Clearview AI. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, what Clearview AI is. Uh, Clearview AI integrates, is a, an AI company that integrates with the face recognition of, uh, that comes from the feeds of uh, body cameras that police use uh, to quickly identify people. Uh, but the key here is that your mugshot uh, is not your property. It is the property of the police departments uh, and your consent is not required for them to use this data on either their own website, like a police website, or for training and in artificial intelligence. And, and this is key, like privacy is not an option. It's not optional, it's not opt-in, you don't have a choice for our lowest income individuals. They are often the first people to be exposed to new tracking and privacy invasive technologies. Um, and the notion in law of innocent until proven guilty generally does not apply to privacy. Uh, when you are even suspected of a crime, often the first thing that you lose is your privacy. Uh, and so I hope that's making sense. Like, I hope this is sinking in, uh, but this is an important concept about privacy is that privacy generally for the, the low income, especially if you're a suspect um, in a case, that a lot of the typical like expectations of privacies, they don't really apply. And furthermore, uh, if like you're caught and then they put you in, like take a mugshot of you, that's theirs. Like they, you don't have any control. You don't have any say. Uh, you can't tell them, hey, take it down, which is kind of interesting. Like maybe we should have regulation around that. <laughs> so we'll see. Now, the second one, and this is very interesting. Uh, I call this middle. 
<laughs> uh, like middle level of privacy. I, I don't know if this is an appropriate term. Um, I don't want to like categorize anybody. I don't want to say like middle income or middle, like, you know, anything else. I just want to say like middle. <laughs> uh, so my question is, well, what do you get as an Android user? So what, what happens to your privacy as somebody who uses an Android phone? Well, um, a March 2021 Forbes article revealed how Apple's App Store required companies to um, disclose how much data is linked to your ID. So all they're doing is comparing browsers. So in this case, they're compa comparing the Chrome browser on Apple iOS to the uh, Safari browser. And, and they showed an image where there are 19 categories of uh, tracking data that is personally linked to your identity in Google Chrome, six in uh, categories in Safari and four categories in Mozilla Firefox. But in addition, uh, Trinity College researchers compared the amount of data sent by a Google Pixel uh, smartphone and an Apple iPhone every day. They found that Android phones sent about 20, 20 times more data or about one megabyte of data in 12 hours uh, than a Apple iPhone, a comparable Apple iPhone, which sent about 0.05 megabytes in 12 hours. Now, while in even in the article, uh, Google disputes the, the number, they don't seem to be disputing the fact that they track more uh, data than their competitors. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. <laughs> as well. So like when it comes to privacy, I mean, like I'm not saying that uh, people don't share a lot of personal data with Apple, just that the more data that is, is shared, like the more data that's shared is stored in the cloud um, than on your phone. So like, I hope that makes sense. It's like there are many different dimensions uh, to privacy. Uh, but this this notion of cloud versus on your phone, like is the data st stored in the cloud or is the data stored on your phone is very, very important. So it is this precisely this transfer of personal data into the cloud that increases the risks of a remote attack when your personal information is leaked and you're not aware of it. And you'll learn a little bit more about other ways that, that it can be leaked. So. The last category, uh, which I'm just going to call like high uh, privacy. I am sorry, I do not have a, uh, <laughs> I don't have a good, I don't have a good naming for each of these. Um, so one thing I really appreciate, uh, I'm calling it high privacy. <laughs> okay. Data diva Debbie Reynolds explained that since the Apple iPhone is generally considered a luxury product for most, uh, its demographic is extremely valuable to companies. Uh, a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that owning a iPhone was a 69 was 69 percent predictive of having higher income. <laughs> and, and get this. It, it beat out the next best highest predictor. Can you guess what that is? What is the what is the next best highest predictor? <laughs> uh, 
If you guessed, I'm going to put it in the chat. If you guessed Grey Poupon, eh, Grey Poupon, uh, apparently that was 62% predictive of high income. That was the next highest one. Okay, so basically it's better than Grey Poupon at predicting high income um, as owning an Apple iPhone. In fact, uh, actually, this is a really important quote. Uh, the researchers went so far as to say across all years in our data, no individual brand or product is as predictive of predicting high income as owning an Apple iPhone. And this is exactly why Facebook is so pissed that crossed app tracking was disabled in the latest version of iOS iPhone users are the ideal clients for targeted ads as they have the means and they don't mind spending a little bit more for something premium. So disabling cross app tracking is part of a much larger privacy and data strategy um, that Apple is using that already includes blocking cookie tracking by default. And it's not just Apple. I want to be clear, like, uh, Google has Google Chrome does have plans to remove cookie tracking. Um, I think in in future versions of Chrome as well. So I just want to be clear, like a lot of these things that I'm talking about are available in both, but you you have to be aware of like what is stored where. Is it stored in the device or is it stored in the cloud? That makes a difference in terms of the risk for for you as a consumer. Data is control. I'm going to give you four reasons why you should care if companies want to track your data and save it to the phone or send it over the internet. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to split it from the longest range to the shortest range. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the impacts of society as the, uh, the fourth point. So when it comes to the long range, uh, which I considered basically to be the internet as a whole, because then it's as long range as possible, the whole world. Um, and this is like, this is important. Information shared over the internet doesn't always stay private forever, right? Like that totally makes sense. Like that seems pretty obvious, I imagine for a lot of you. So long range. Companies have data leaks all the time, for example reports um, that over a half a billion Facebook users, personal information, including their names, phone numbers, email addresses was leaked, um, that it was shown in April 2021 this year, just like a few months ago, right? So, so many of you are already familiar with this. Now, the other thing, um, because of GDPR, we're learning that companies can also be obligated by governments to reveal this personal information in the name of national security. So when this information is given to the government, often you as a user are not aware of what's happening. They, they're not required. In fact, they are forbidden from telling you that your information is being tracked. There are specific uh, rules and regulations that prevent that from prevent you from knowing what is happening. So Whistleblower Edward Snowden popped the lid on how cell phone locations are tracked by your own cell phone companies and they are shared with governments on a regular basis. 
And, you know, honestly, even years after this revelation, they have not stopped creeping our locations. Like, if you have a cell phone today, your location's being tracked. Sorry. Um, that's nothing's changed in terms of this behavior. Um, because it's still part of the rules and regulations of what is allowed. So, um, next up is short range. And I'm going to go back to um, some of the stuff I just mentioned. Because I think this, this is important. So, when it comes to um, short range communications. Short range communications technology like um, near field communication or NFC. Uh, is often used for payment systems and uh, such as like Apple Pay or um, I imagine Google's uh, Pay is exactly the same. Uh, there's another technology that is being discussed um, that you may have heard in that video that I showed earlier. Uh, Apple said that it uses ultra wide band for unlocking cars, uh, hotel rooms and homes. So what is ultra wide band or UWB? Um, so ultra wide band is basically a, a kind of like a, a, a car, like it's kind of the in-between between like really short range NFC, which only has a few inches uh, distance that it can support and uh, Bluetooth, which is like, you know, um, a couple hundred feet. So ultra wide bands range is about 25 meters. Uh, and that's convenient for both you and for hackers. <laughs> so um, in the UK, the vehicle recovery company uh, called Tracker reported that 92% of all vehicles stolen and recovered were taken without the using the owner's keys. You didn't they don't need to take your keys no more in order to steal your car. Attackers have been using something called a, like a two person relay attack to enter cars. So the way that this works is let's pretend um, you're here. This is your car. So there are two people that are following you. So one person will follow you as maybe you enter the train station, just give you an example. And then another person is still going to stay near your car. And what they're going to do is they're going to send this signal, this ultra wideband signal that comes from your car, um, wirelessly to the let's say the backpack, maybe he's got a laptop or something um, to another person. And so it will look um, that signal will look like your 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 phone or your key fob, like it'll start to think that you're actually close to the car. Uh, so what it will do is it will unlock the doors for you. And so what will happen is like you're really far away. This person has not touched you. They're not even close to you because they can be 25 meters away and your your doors are unlocked. Uh, then from that point, it's pretty easy to enter the vehicle um, and just like steal whatever stuff is inside or potentially even take the vehicle to some location. For example, like drive it to a shipping container or something and then have it shipped somewhere somewhere else so that it can be anonymized or reprogrammed, etc. So don't think that this stuff can't be done. It's like 92% of all vehicles stolen are, are stolen using that technology, the ultra wideband. And it's not just Apple that's using this, like every car manufacturer uses like the same technology, ultra wideband. That's how you're able to walk in and then everything's unlocked. How convenient. Um, and so the key here is that you're, if they can steal from you without leaving any evidence of any forced entry. 
So you would, for the most part, be none the wiser unless you kind of looked in your glove compartment and you're like, hey, something's missing here. But like, how often do people look in their glove compartment? Do they check every day? Do they check every two days? This is this is the problem. Now, there's ways to protect yourself, right? Like you, there are portable, they call them Faraday pouches, um, like the silent pocket uh, that can block these signals. But keep in mind, you would also like if this if you're putting a cell phone like your iPhone into a uh, Faraday pouch like the silent pocket, you would also lose the convenience of all the stuff that cell phones are good for, like receiving text messages or calls on your phone. Uh, it basically would block all signals um, from entering your phone. So the, these types of pockets like silent pockets are more common um, in like for your key fob. So typically people will actually put a cover on their key fob, and then they will use that in order to uh, block other people from using it. So when you need it to use it, they, they just remove the, the pocket. And then that's one one way that they can protect themselves. Now, I've talked about Wi Fi. So that's the highest level, the longest distance, the internet, right? Like, so once once it's there, it's very easy for many people to get access to it. Uh, it could be official sources, it could be like people within the company leaking your information. Uh, or it could be governments like uh, compelling a company to release that information. Ultra wideband is really just about like, I can steal your information without being close to you or without you even noticing. I just walk you know, near you is sufficient for me to unlock your something like your vehicle or potentially your house or your hotel keys, you name it, right? Like those, those kind of things are fairly easy to spoof if they're all using ultra wideband technology. Ultra wideband has 25 meter range. That's fairly easy to, to spoof. Um, the last one is like straight up hardware hacking. So if you have a phone, you know, if you can plug something into it, like a cable that connects to a computer, um, it's hackable, but here's the key. Okay. And so the, my last one, I'm going to just talk about like straight up hardware hacking, and I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about this technique. So one of the key messages regarding the changes to Apple wallet and you, you heard this back in when I was talking about the, the report over here, uh, direct from Apple, was that this data would be encrypted and it would only be accessible through the secure Enclave processor, uh, which is also similar to the secure element available in Snapdragon 845 or above Android phones. So I want to be clear, this is not exclusive to Apple phones, but this is certainly how they advertise that we're keeping your information secure. So um, under the hood, Secure Enclave or Secure Element manages encryption keys, uh, and it's isolated from the main processor. So it is built into the chip. So you have a Snapdragon or you have an Apple, uh, like say an M1 chip, uh, and then it's built into that processor. So it is a component of it. However, they isolate it on purpose. So the goal is any highly sensitive data um, that users want to keep private, like it could be like your, your face scans, could be your fingerprint scans or credit cards. Like they want to make sure that that's encrypted. So they, they find a special place in memory for it. So they quote unquote reserve it uh, for, for these, this encrypted uh, component. Uh, and in this isolation, in theory, means that it's capable of maintaining its encryption of your, this really sensitive data 
even if you jailbreaked the device. So if you even if you hacked the device, you got into what, what's known as the root or the kernel. Um, in theory, like, oh, you should have access to everything. But no, that shouldn't be the case. In theory, uh, with the secure enclave, it's a different type of processor. You would actually have to hack the secure enclave processor. Um, and so what that means is that, you know, this, oh, it, it like potentially protects you. However, <laughs> let's see if I have that here. Um, I don't have it. Uh, I have an article that showed that because Secure Enclave is a piece of hardware, uh, information is located in ROM and it cannot be changed. When an exploit is discovered for Secure Enclave, that exploit will work for every phone moving back till whenever that was patched. And this is a real problem because it means if you have an older phone, then you are always going to be susceptible to this hack and there's nothing that they can do about it. So potentially like anybody who like recently, I think it was in 2021. I mean, there's always security groups that are, are doing research on this stuff. Like, like they showed a new exploit for secure enclave uh, that they, they said is unpatchable. The reason it's unpatchable because it's built into the ROM of secure enclave. So you would need a new hardware. You would need a new processor uh, to fix this problem. And so I'm sure they're going to do everything that they can to prevent this uh, from happening, like for, prevent you from like accessing the kernel and getting access to the device. But if somebody physically has your device and like plugs this thing in, they're probably going to be able to get to a lot of that data, which is a problem. Um, and like, of course, they're not showing exactly how, how it happens. Uh, but, you know, suffice it to say, like things are on a device, people will try to hack it. I mean, this is this is very common, right? Remember when the, the US government like really wanted access to uh, a terrorist phone? And, you know, they, they were like, oh, how do I do it? And then just like probably some company, security company just called them up and were like, hey, what's up? We can hack that phone for you. Here, just give us some money. <laughs> and then and then we got you. So so that's that's uh, the key uh, with respect to that one. OK. So the last one I'm going to talk about uh, is regarding uh, society. And I think that this is important um, because we often talk about technology and we don't talk about what does this mean for our society and i think that this is where it becomes really really interesting because the it's the society implications that are the most uh they're the most fascinating if apple and others truly succeed in replacing your existing wallet uh, this introduces another like a new risk to our society as a whole uh, and I, I do want to give credit to data diva Debbie Reynolds once again. She helped me think a, a lot about the implications of what this means for our society. She's awesome. So now imagine this scenario. If the government only issued an electronic driver's license and a passport to your phone, so they, they didn't give you a physical one, they only gave you the electronic one. Well, then in theory, you're only one hack away from full on identity theft, right? Like, so they could pretend to be you in every sense of the word. They could travel as you, like they would they would be you effectively. Like you could change the photo. Let's say you change the photo, right? The, the way that people like cut out the photo, like replacing a photo is e easier than like faking a passport. Um, 
they would literally become you. They would have your credit card. They would be able to travel as you. They would be able to cross borders as you. Um, they would be you uh, in, in all senses of the word, in the digital sense. The second risk with this is uh, society risk is one of concentrated power. So your phone manufacturer could shut down your account at any time and they would have no obligation to restore any of your accounts. Even if you had, say, life-saving medication in your car that you're locked out of because your phone account got either compromised by somebody else or violated the terms of service, who knows what. Uh, or even if you couldn't, let's say you couldn't get back into your own house because you left your keys at home because you're like, ah, I don't need those keys anymore. I just, I leave everything at home because if I ever need it, I'll just go home and get it. Oops, and you got locked out. <laughs> Says face ID, fingerprint ID, and two-factor authentication helps to secure these connections though. Okay, so I agree. Um, those are things, those are all things that help. Anything that you can do to not rely on a single um, source is, is going to help. But think about the scenario, right? Like, so even if you've got like face ID, like you've got two factor authentication, the issue that I'm, I'm referring to here is one of like the higher level, um, either the government or the company Apple decides to shut down your account. Um, and maybe this has never happened to you before, but you wouldn't be surprised. There are people who have lost access to their Google accounts. They have lost access to their Apple accounts. Uh, I, for, for one, have lost access to my Google account. I can't remember. I think I sent an email to like a, a group or a list uh, by accident. You know how like sometimes you like BCC or you like CC everybody? And I'm like, oops, I sent it. Um, and then I think they, yeah, they flagged my email account and then they shut everything down and like you lose access to everything. It's scary. Uh, and so though, how do you protect yourself from that type of risk? Uh, in this case, I think that it's always good uh, to have a backup just in case the electronics don't work. Now, it could be like maybe at that time, your cell phone doesn't have a connection. And this is key for uh, a lot of the Apple Pay. It doesn't work unless you've got a working internet connection. Um, so generally, like I, for one, like keep all of my cash and my cards um, in an RFID blocking minimalist wallet. So it's like this small, the small one, my most important card, Costco, the only one that is not digital. <laughs> I, I don't have a choice. It's like, you don't need to bring your wallet. You don't need your passport. You don't need your driver's license. You need your Costco card. <laughs> I don't know how many of you are like that as well. Uh, but yeah, Costco card, very important. So uh, I have some examples of RFID blocking uh, minimalist wallets. Um, you can keep them with you at all times. I highly recommend it if you can, just in case. Um, don't leave home without it. You know, honestly, if you can, having a spare key doesn't hurt either. Like if you can find it like a super thin one that like just fits inside a card, like just a credit card, uh, those are kind of the ideal if, if you can, like a physical key. Um, but everybody's different, right? Like, you know, anything can be hacked, anything can be compromised. Um, so if people really want to get in, they're going to get in. Uh, it's just about the amount of effort. And, you know, for the most part, digital um, digital solutions for like the secure enclave are very hard to hack. 
like it, it's much easier to like break into your house than it is to hack secure enclave. Like you need really strong technical expertise, like world leading um, te technical expertise to hack it. Doesn't mean it can't be done, but it does mean that the number of people that can do it to you is much less. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for joining us today on the AI Parenting Podcast. I hope this episode was helpful for you. If you want to know more ways to protect your family online, go visit AIparenting.live. We have a bunch of courses and a mailing list called the AI Parenting Insider, which will give you a free copy of our screen time to quality chart just for signing up. Thank you again. And next week, we are going to explore some of the best insights from the Parenting Decolonized Conference. Thank you again. We'll see you next week.